You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It's so good to see you all here today. You can take a seat right now. Hey, I was thinking, um, you know, if I can't be in New Market to ring in the new year with our campus up there, uh, what place would I rather be? Then right here with all of you. So grateful for you and your support uh, to Ange and I and our family and our church as you pray for us and always checking in and asking how things are going. The Lord's doing a really great work uh, up there right now. Jason Locke's actually up there preaching uh, in my place today. So grateful for him as well. Um, but I love the opportunity uh, as I get once in a while to come here and to open up God's word with you. So why don't we turn in it right now to Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is where we're going to be uh, here today. Now, as you get turned over there, um, got kind of a question for you that might seem a little kind of interesting at first, but, but have you ever fainted before or ever, you know, passed out or maybe even been knocked out? You ever experienced something like that before? So maybe seen someone uh, who has? It's always kind of, a, it's kind of a freaky thing. Right? It's kind of a scary thing when that happens. And uh, I remember when I was in junior high, I was, I don't know, I was grade seven or eight or something. And I remember uh, being at home and I remember jumping off the couch to go grab something to show my mom or something like that. And you know when you get up too quickly and you get lightheaded? Well, that happened to me, but only I was like in full sprint mode down my hallway and just went down <laughs> a ton of bricks. And I remember we had like our, like our washing machine and dryer right there. And I just like, like pounding straight into the side of that thing. And my mom, all she heard was a huge crash. And she's like, what's going on? Right? She thought that we were being bad or something. My brother and I never happened, but that's what she was thinking. And I remember just kind of coming to, and if this ever happened to you, you feel so groggy and kind of gross and awful, and uh, it's just like this weird feeling. But again, if this has ever happened to you or you've ever seen it happen, um, it's such a relief um, when the person finally comes to, isn't it? When they revive, it's like, oh, thank goodness that's happening. Now, again, you might be wondering, why are we starting out like this? Why, you know, why this? Well, I mention all of this because if you were to survey the evangelical landscape, like if you were to take a look at kind of the worldwide church um, as a whole, um, I think it's pretty obvious that the church in general needs to revive. Would you agree with that? Do you agree that that's a necessary thing? Now listen, before we get too far down that pathway here, I want to be really uh, kind of careful here because, I mean, I could stand up here and I could rattle off depressing stat after depressing stat about, you know, how churches everywhere are closing their doors in kind of record fashion. And, you know, I could rattle off stats about, you know, how biblical marriage is being threatened. And, I mean, on and on it goes. But listen, when I'm tempted to think that way, what I have to remind myself of are the words of Jesus. How he said in Matthew chapter 16, what did he say? He said, I will build my church. Right? He says the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? Love those words. So let's be really clear here. Hey, the church is not dead. Okay, not even close. The Lord himself is on the move in the church. It's, a, it's not headed towards extinction. Okay, God in his sovereignty, he has a plan for his bride. He really does. He's in control. He is on the throne. He is creating great things. And this year, in 2017, he's going to take great ground uh, for his kingdom. Now, all of that is true. Okay, and that being said, does the church need a wake-up call from time to time? 
right? Absolutely. You know, do we as, as Christ's bride fall into kind of sin and, and kind of hard-heartedness and, and we don't really care about the things that we should care about in a way that kind of limits or hampers our effectiveness in the world? Do we fall into that? Totally. Totally we do. Now, now, maybe more than ever, we need the Lord to revive us again. We need that to, for us to wake up out of our slumber, for, for the Lord to lead us to repentance, to grant us repentance and breathe life into our dry and weary bones. I mean, do you not want that? Do you, as, as we start off 2017, today, it's literally day one of 365. Do you not want this for your heart? Do you not want this for your family and for our church? I mean, this is something we need to press into uh, in the Lord. And so we're going to look into this here from Psalm 85. Why don't you stand with me as we read through this? It's a great way to honor the Lord as, uh, as we read his word. So let's do that. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, recognizing that uh, through you alone only, Lord, will we ever revive, will we ever wake up from our, you know, dull hearts and, Lord, will our, our blind eyes be made to see, God, would you do this to, uh, to us, in us today? God, we pray that this year would be a phenomenal year in the life of our church, in the life of us as families and individuals. God, would you do it? Lord, we cry out for that. We need that. And Lord, we want that. Lord, to you alone be glory and praise. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, you can take your seats. Now, as we kind of work through uh, these verses here this morning, I, I want you to be kind of thinking through uh, a couple of things here. Okay, first question, you know, how, how do you want the Lord to work in us to revive us here uh, as a church on kind of a large sort of corporate scale? You know, how does the Lord need to revive us as a church? And then how, how does the Lord want to revive you how does the Lord want to revive uh, me as an individual? You know, us as, as husbands and, and, and fathers and leaders of our homes and, you know, as, as wives and as mothers and, you know, as, as men and women and students and, and all of that. What is the work that the Lord needs to do in my heart so that we can experience the reviving work of the Spirit uh, in us and in me as an individual? 
Okay, that's the kind of the first thing to think about. Does the Lord want to revive us and then me as individuals? And then a second question, and this is maybe even more foundational kind of than the first, is this. Do I even want this? Right? Do I even want this? Do you desire revival? Do you desire change? Do you want the Lord Jesus Christ to punch through the barriers in your life, the hard-heartedness, the staleness, all of that? Do you want, do you even care? Right? That's a key question to ask. And maybe as you're thinking through this this morning, as we walk through it, you will be asking the Lord, Lord, would you soften me? Would you give me a desire for these things? That I want to see you come through and do amazing and awesome things in my heart and in my life and in the life of our church. Because here's the thing. If we don't care, we will not pursue it. Bottom line, we pursue the things we care about right? And so let's think about these things, all right, as we go. Here's the first thing. We're going to be walking through this. If you've got the notes with you there, it's this. The Lord will revive his church when we reflect on his favor to us in the past. We reflect on his favor to us in the past. Now understand this, that this psalm, Psalm 85, it's a lament. It's a lament. And so this was being sung by Israel at a time where they had experienced God's great displeasure towards them as a nation because of their sin. And so what they're doing here is you kind of as we work through these verses, notice how they're they're grieving. Right? They're, they're mourning their sin. They're, they're probably weeping over it and, and against, about the rebellion against the Lord and crying out to him, Lord, would you forgive? Lord, would you restore us? Would you do great things? And so here's how they begin this whole process here uh, of repentance. Okay, and this is how they begin. Verse 1, take a look. He says, Lord, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Okay, so again, notice how they begin the process of repentance. What's repentance? It's, it's turning away from my way, and I, I want to do what I want, and you know my selfish pursuits, and all of that, to I want to follow the Lord now. I want to confess that sin and ask the Lord to purify me. As they kind of begin this whole process of repentance, look what they do. They look actually back, okay, into the past to reflect on, to remind themselves, and even the Lord, they remind him of his great favor to them um, in, in the past and, and, and his goodness to them uh, as his people. Now, I think we see plenty of reminders of this all throughout the Old Testament. And uh, Exodus 34 is a really great reminder for us. I'm just going to read this here. But this, is, this happens after the whole situation with the golden calf. You remember this? Back in Exodus, this is what the Lord says to Moses. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if I have now found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Awesome. 
is the Lord's favor and his kindness towards his people. Do you sense that? Do you get that? I mean, whether it's to the nation of Israel, like thousands of years uh, previous, or it's to his church today, it's to us. I mean, God's goodness is amazing. He is, he is such a merciful and, and patient father who, who pours out far more goodness than you and I will ever come anywhere close to deserving. Do you realize that here today? And listen, a big part of revival in the life of the church and in our own hearts is, is carefully thinking back on the Lord's favor to us in the past. Do you do that? It's, 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 not, it's not merely glossing over the past, right? I think that's a pretty easy for, uh, thing for us to do. Like you can think back, well, yeah, I guess the Lord, you know, did a couple of good things in scripture. And, you know, I guess, yeah, one or two, uh, you know, pretty decent things happened to me in the past year that was the Lord's doing. Um, it's not that. It's not gl- glancing over it, glossing over it. It's kind of this, this vague look back um, where we, you know, where we kind of take it for granted. That's not what it is. Revival, revival is carefully thinking about it, meditating on God's goodness to us. Okay, not taking it for granted again, because that's, that's what leads to what? It leads to God's, it leads to God forgetfulness. It leads to hard-heartedness. It leads to all kinds of pride and, 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 and rebellion. Okay, and all of that is exactly what put us in the position of needing God's revival in the first place. Right? So we need to be so careful. And you might be thinking, well, you know, what do we do? How, how, do, how do I, as an individual, how do I, how do I think carefully about God's goodness to us in the past? Well, I would suggest to you that, that it begins with becoming familiar with how God intimately has worked with his people all throughout the scriptures. Okay, do you think about that? Do you realize that? I mean, it starts at the very beginning, right? It starts in Genesis, right? God created everything, and then he creates Adam and Eve as kind of the pinnacle of all of that. And it's not too long before they completely blow it. Right? They, they enter sin into the picture and it completely wrecks the relationship that they had going with God and all of that. But instead of God saying, like, wiping the table clean with them, which he could have done, right, and they would have deserved that, instead he gives them hope. And he tells them in uh, Genesis chapter 3, he's like, I'm going to send one who is going to crush Satan. Right? It's the first mention of the gospel, which, again, brings such hope, and it shows the favor that he has on his people. I'm coming for you, creation. I'm coming for you, my people. I'm going to rescue you and make all things new. And you see that right out of the gate. so incredible. And then as you go through the Old Testament, again, we looked at Exodus 34, right, and how God is so patient and, and, and so merciful with his people. And we just see time and time again how, how, how God's people, Israel, the nation there, you know, they would follow the Lord for a little bit, and then what would they do? They'd look to their own interests. They would grumble. They would complain, and they would get off track. And then what would the Lord do? He would bring them back out of his mercy when they would repent. And then you see the kings that were put over Israel, how some of them would follow the Lord, and a lot of them did not, and they pursued wickedness, and some of them did even worse than the other nations around them would do. But what would the Lord do? He would draw them back to himself in his mercy and in his kindness. I mean, what amazing, amazing favor. We need to think about that as we, as we think about the scriptures and we meditate on those things, allow those things to really soak in to our hearts so that we appreciate and love the Lord for what he has done. 
But then even beyond that, you can think about God's favor to us here as a church and all the great things that he has done here since you've been coming as, a, as an individual or as a family. And maybe for you, what you really appreciate and God's favor to you is just the relationships that you've been able to grow here. I mean, so many people, they're looking for a church where they can be known and then know other people. But not just like in a surfacey way, but like true, deep fellowship. And maybe that's what you're thankful for and you're grateful for, you know, your small group and how these people pour into you and they, they encourage you every single week and you have the opportunity to do that with them. And, and the depth of your discipleship is growing. That's God's favor. You might be thinking about it in terms of your children. Right? And, it's, and it's Harvest Kids. It's, it's Awana. It's, it's Harvest Youth. Man, so thankful that the, the gospel and the word of God is proclaimed in these ministries so that my children can be discipled right out of the gate. They don't have to make all the same mistakes that, that I had to make at that age because I wasn't very disciple. This is, this is the Lord's favor on us. How about all the, the serving opportunities that you, that you have? You, you get to serve as, as a greeter here. Maybe you're on the, the worship team or in Harvest Kids or your youth leader or something, or something like that. That is God's blessing on your life. It's not a chore. It's not to be looked at, that, at, at as that. It is his favor. You will grow as you serve. Right? Pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, so much, so much to be thankful for if we just think about it. So, so much. So much of God's favor poured out on us. And I mean, hey, you want to see revival happen here in this place? You want to see revival happen in your own life? Well, it starts with remembering God's goodness to you in the past. And here's another big thing to think about. Remember and thank God for your salvation. Do you do that? Do you think about that? That may be in the recent, in the recent past for some of you, it may seem like the distant past for some of you. But think about that. Do you praise the Lord for how he has saved you? I love what the verse says here. It talks about how, how God has withdrawn his wrath. He's, he, he's kept that back from us. That's an amazing thing to think about. A cool thing that, it, that kind of shows God's favor towards us. All that was pointed in your direction. And instead, he's poured that out on Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't deserve any of the goodness that we get. None of it. Okay, so remember these things. Let these things marinate in your mind and in your soul so you become more appreciative of it. Don't forget the past. Thank God for what he's done. And then listen, cry out for more. Grow for more of that. Like, I doubt any of us want to look back at the end of our life and say, man, 2016 was the best year ever, but after that, kind of went downhill. I don't think any one, of, any one of us want that. We want 2017 to be the best year ever, and then beyond, because we, want, we have more of the Lord's faithfulness in our lives. Let's cry out for more of that. Now, all that really leads us to the second thing here. The Lord will revive his church when we appeal to his desire for restoration. We appeal to his desire to restore. Okay, sometimes, you know, when we allow ourselves to examine, you know, some of those alarming stats that are out there about the church, like it could be something about like high divorce rates or something like that, you know, we can get kind of down about it, can't we? Like, man, this is kind of discouraging. And, you know, is the Lord at work? And, you know, what's really happening here? And I mean, that can be the appropriate response, uh, you know, at some times for sure. It's a good thing to grieve. It's a good thing to even weep over all of that. Okay, but sometimes I think it gets to the point where all we see is the brokenness. You ever get to that place? You know, we, we've completely lost sight of the fact that God actually wants to fix a lot of this stuff. He actually wants to restore. He actually wants to uh, revive. 
Just take a look at verse 4. Look at this. It says, Restore us again, O God, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now, something that I believe plagues the church uh, a little too much is this kind of crying out to the Lord uh, for help uh, when we've sinned, which, hey, is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's good to lean into the Lord uh, for all of that. But I think sometimes or too many times that appeal to the Lord becomes detached from the belief that he actually wants to do something about it. Do you notice that? Do you ever struggle with this a little bit? Yeah, I wonder how many times do we, do we cry out to the Lord for restoration and, and forgiveness, but we don't really believe that he actually wants to restore us. We wrestle with this doubt, don't we? And I think our, our pleas are really hindered by that, by a certain hopelessness and, and faithlessness and, again, doubt. But notice what Joel 2.25 says. This is just such a great verse. It says this, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I mean, what, what a great verse. The desire of God's heart towards his church is that he actually wants to, and beyond that, loves to resuscitate us when we're in need of revival. In fact, he promises to do it when we, if we, repent. Joel says this again, I will restore you. So you notice that that's a promise, right? A promise that, that we as the church, first of all, we need to understand, we need to realize that that's a promise. And then second of all, we need to believe it by faith. So if the Lord is going to promise something, and he does many times all throughout the scriptures, what's our job as the church? Our job is to believe it, right? Believe it by faith. And listen, I think one of the biggest challenges uh, to us when it comes to taking God at his word and trusting him and believing him and understanding that he wants to deliver on his promises, I think the hardest part for all of that is that we've all been let down and hurt by somebody. Right? We, we, we've all experienced pain. We've all been let down. We've all been, you know, lied to. We, we've all been rejected or, or forgotten about in some way. And so we bring that kind of, that mistrust, that, that distance that we try to keep, we bring that to our relationship with the Lord and kind of mistakenly assume that he's going to be just like that person that let me down. Here's the thing. God can't let you down. He cannot fail to deliver on any one of his promises. It is against his character. It is against his very nature. Impossible. He can't do it. What hope that should bring us. His heart is to restore us. And of course, the ultimate expression, it was seen where? It was seen on the cross. It was seen in the gospel. Do you realize that that's why Jesus died? It was to restore you. It was to restore your sin, which has so broken your relationship with God. And do you realize that your sin meant that you deserved wrath? 
You deserved holy wrath and punishment and an eternity in hell. But God, because he loves you so passionately, so much, he sent his own son to take that penalty, to take that pain and that torture and that shame on himself in your place on the cross. That's what he did so that you would know him. Now, you might be wondering, well, how how do I make this true for myself? Well, it's really just believing what I just said. It's believing that Jesus actually did this, that he lived the perfect life that satisfies God's righteous demands, the perfect life that you and I can't ever live, right? We've all probably blown it like 10 times on the way to church already today, right? That's the reality. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't. And he died the death that we deserve. God poured out all of his wrath, all of his punishment on his son in our place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was enough to secure your salvation? If you do, ask him to be your savior. That's how you become a Christ follower. And listen, if you have any questions about any of this, please don't leave here today without talking to somebody about it. Come talk to one of us up here after the service is done. We would love to pray with you. We would love to walk you through this. We'd love to answer kind of any questions that we can to to help you in this. I mean, what an incredible way for you to start off 2017. It's as a Christ follower. It's a follower of Christ, having your sins forgiven, right? Pretty, pretty amazing thing. The Lord wants to revive us. He wants to do it. So appeal to that desire. Cry out to him. Say, Say, Lord, I know you want to do this. Would you make this happen in my life? Would you transform me? Would you change me? Would you bring me new desire to follow you? Remind yourself of his desire to do this. Remind him as well. That's what we see through this psalm. They're reminding the Lord of what he wants to do, what he delights in doing. We see that kind of all through the Old Testament as well. Appeal to his desire to restore and to revive us again. Okay, next thing. The Lord will revive his church when I do what's right while I wait on him to act. Okay, so, so far, what we've kind of seen in the approach of this psalm here has been like from the, from the corporate perspective, right? So you see like words like, like we and us to kind of to signify, you know, God's people as a whole, as the nation. And if you want to kind of extrapolate from that or put it into today's context, us as a church, uh, as a whole, you know, pleading with the Lord to revive us, you know, as a group. But here what you see is a kind of a mini transition take place in the text here as it changes to an individual approach. You know, instead of we and us, you see the word me. Take a look at verse 8. It says this, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. And I love the, the sense that you get here that, that the people are now individually desiring a fresh word from the Lord. You know, you, you get the sense here that they're, they're leaning in. They, they so crave nearness to God. They want him to uh, in, intersect himself in their lives and to do a great work. They want him in a way that meets them in their own personal and unique circumstances as individuals. You know, they're done with the whole, I'm going to live for my pursuits and I'm going to go after my thing. The end is death. The end is just emptiness and, and futility. None of it matters. None of it suffices. Okay, their, their hearts, you can see that their, their hearts are starting to come alive as they, as they repent and as they seek revival. And the Lord, what is he doing? He's doing it, right? He's reviving them as they cry out to them, uh, to him, and as they're waiting for him to act. Okay, but then notice the next part here. This is interesting. This is kind of the last line of verse 8. 
He says, but let them not turn back to folly. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Hey, that word folly there, you know what that literally means? It means moral stupidity. Okay, moral stupidity. And they're like, we don't want to go back to that. Now, have you ever noticed that, like, have you ever tried uh, to repent and kind of get beyond some kind of bad living maybe that you've been doing? And, and you know, maybe you, you start to kind of gain some traction with the Lord and a couple of days or weeks or maybe even months go by and you're like, things are clicking along. But then all of a sudden what you find is you have this desire to go back to the things that you had previously repented of. And so quickly, so easily, we forget about kind of the pain and the heartache and the damage that that did to us and our relationship with the Lord. And often other people are caught in the crossfire of all of that. And all we desire is kind of the fun and the pleasure with all of that. And we tend to want to go back to our folly, to our stupidity. Now, I love how careful God's people want to be here so as not to return to all of that. They don't want to go back to it. They, they have this desire now for, for righteousness, for holiness, a, a desire that wasn't there before. And, they, and you know, they're, they're continuing to just, to just wait patiently. Lord, we're waiting for you to fully answer our prayers here, but we don't want to kind of backslide and we don't want to go off the rails here as we wait for you to act. Listen. Listen, if, if you want God to revive you from whatever your folly has been of late, then listen, there needs to be a, a commitment on your part to actually do the right thing. To actually do the right thing. Because sometimes I fear that, that our desire and, and our approach is, is to kind of just like, you know, pray to God for him to just miraculously take away all of our problems. And, you know, with, with next to no effort on our part whatsoever, maybe beyond the prayer itself, get to actually live righteously. Like, Lord, you just do it. You kind of let me give you a kind of a principle from my own life that I've noticed that maybe will help you kind of illustrate this. Sometimes I've noticed uh, from time to time, it'd be so hard to believe, but every once in a while, my attitude uh, is garbage, right? It's, it's, it's not good. And sometimes what I found myself uh, praying is that the Lord would just kind of magically take it all away and, and instead replace it with these great feelings and this great new good attitude. Now, at first, you might be like, what's wrong with that? You know, what, what, what's wrong with, with praying for that kind of thing? Well, here, I want to kind of help you understand or illuminate kind of the, where I go off with this and the wrong aspect of my heart. Okay, I just want the Lord to fix me instantly. In other words, I'm kind of lazy about it. I'm like, God, God, you do all the work, and I'm just going to sit here and receive, right? That's going to be my action. That's all I'm going to do. And what I've actually found is I've kind of thought about this and I've repented and I've been seeking the Lord on all of this is that if I were just to put forth some kind of concentrated effort, listen, and our effort is always hand in hand with, with prayer. It's always hand in hand with God's grace. Listen, do I have the power to change my heart? Do you have the power to change your heart? No, you don't. So the Lord does it. But what, I, what I've found here is that if I put forth some concentrated effort as I'm praying, I can usually just decide to have a better attitude. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that that can actually happen, right? And, and what I'm trying to say here is that, that yes, 
you know, the Lord works to change our hearts. But listen, listen, we have a part to play as well. We have a part to play in this. You know, and sometimes what I've found is that I, if, as I'm praying and as I'm thinking about this, I can just decide, you know what, I'm going to be thankful instead of miserable today. I'm, I'm going I'm to work on this and I'm going I'm to purpose in my heart and in my mind to do that by God's grace. You see the effort involved with all of that? You see that? That's, how, that's what the Lord wants to do. I mean, that's what a relationship with, uh, with the Lord is. It's sort of this mysterious thing. We don't know exactly how the whole thing works, but it's the Lord working with us to bring about transformation. So listen, whatever your vice or vices are that you need to repent of here today, listen, there needs to be a legitimate attempt on your part to actually do the right thing. So let me give you a couple more examples. If your struggle is pornography, Right, and you've been stuck on this merry-go-round of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, and like I, I can't stop this thing, and, and I just want to get off, and all I'm doing is confessing it and praying, but I'm not actually doing anything about this. Do you not want to get off that? Well, how, how do I do this? What's the effort I can put forth? Well, I would, I would suggest this. Tell somebody about it. Right? Get that sin out from the darkness and into the light where it can shrivel up and die. Tell somebody for accountability purposes. And then listen, think about and act on some ways that you can put some parameters, some guidelines, and some boundaries in your life so you don't keep walking off the same cliff every single day. Right? That's some of the effort that you can put forward to as you're praying your face off, asking the Lord to, to do great things and change your heart and transform it. How about this? Maybe your issue is, is spending beyond your means. Hey, is this not the time of year for this? Right? January is like, got no money. Because right? I just went crazy at Christmas time and you know, it's January 1st and the kids already don't care about any of the gifts we got them. You know, why do we do this every single year? Right? And for some of us though, it's the, that's the way we spend all the time. We spend beyond our means and the credit cards are just racking up bills and we can't pay it off. But on the outside, we've got all the stuff. We've got all the things. Right? And we look the part. We look, look like we've got it all together. We've got so many things. But listen, we can't afford it. So what do we do? What do we do? I would say tell somebody about it. You know, again, bring somebody into this problem so they can pray for you, they can support you, they can hold you accountable and, and help you through this struggle and this journey. Another thing I would say, maybe cut up, the, cut up the credit cards. That's a real practical thing. Or how about this novel idea? Don't go to the mall. <laughs> right? Maybe. But here's the thing. Sometimes we think that to, that to change, it's this massive mountain that we're never going to be able to scale. The change is too difficult for me. It's never going to happen. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I'm never going to change. The problem is far too big, and we don't trust the Lord that he can actually do something with it. And listen, am I saying that change is easy? No. If it was easy, we would all just do it. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's easier than we think. And all it takes is it takes some prayer and it takes some putting a plan into place and allowing the Lord to work. Are we going to get this perfectly? No, absolutely not. But don't see it as this big mountain that you're never going to see the top of. Can the Lord change you? Can the Lord revive you? Can he restore your soul? Absolutely he can. And absolutely uh, he wants to. And we need to do what's right while we wait on the Lord to act. Okay, last thing. The Lord will revive his church when I confidently expect that he will come through. When I confidently expect that he will come through. I mean, just look at this here. The, the, the expectation that, that Israel has as they, you know, they cry out to the Lord even more. For, Lord, revive us. Lord, revive us. Look at what they say. Verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. 
Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Right? You just got to love the confidence in that, in those words there. You know, they believe that not only does God want to help them, he's actually going to. Right? He will do these things. And, the, and these verses, what do they say? They say that God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his peace, they're guarantees. They're guarantees. He will give us what is good. He will make a way. Even though it seems impossible to you, he will make a way. He is able. And so are we supposed to have any different mindset than Israel here? No. It's supposed to be the same it's a confident expectation that the Lord will hear our cries and come through in a big way. I'm going to say that again. A confident expectation that the Lord will hear our cries and come through in a big way. Do you have that confidence? Listen, allow these verses to be medicine to your doubting heart, to your faithlessness, your, your lack of hope, your lack of belief. Confess these things as sin. Lord, you are greater than I am realizing. I am not seeing you clearly, O God. And and then press into him now and believe that the Lord not only wants to, but loves to and will do these things. He will revive you as you press into him. This is what he wants to do in our church. He wants to do that starting now. Now, these verses are you know, uh, applicable to everyone in this room. There's no question uh, about that. It can speak to all of us, but, but can I just speak to uh, the men here uh, for just a second? Listen, where are you at? Are, are you taking these verses seriously? Because if not, time to wake up. Time to wake up. Start of 2017. Let's get our hearts right Let's get our hearts back to the Lord. Maybe for you, it's for the first time to the Lord. Done with going my way. You know, do you spend time on your knees praying to the Lord for him to do a miraculous work in your life? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for your wife and for your kids? When when things go off the rails for you and you sin against them, are you apologizing to the Lord? Do you confess your sin to to your wife and to your children? Are you doing this? Are you humbling yourself? Are you, are you serving in the church with passion? Are you being a leader, not in just in your own home, but in the church as well, serving with humility and, and integrity and, in, and with courage, with, with a heart to disciple because that is God's heart for you. Is this what you're going after? Listen, I know that this isn't just about the men. I get it. But when God revives the hearts of men, look out. Watch out for what the Lord will do in your home. Watch out for what the Lord will do in this church. It will be amazing and we will marvel because we will be able to say that he did it. This is what we want, is it not? Is this not what we want our 2017 to be, to look like? We want the Lord to break through the hard-heartedness, the, 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 the crust of pride that is over our hearts. Do you want this today? Do you want this for your life? Think about that right now. And then join me. I'm going to pray in this moment that the Lord would continue to do that. 
that this would be on our minds for the rest of this day, but beyond that through this year. Lord, would this be a unique and amazing and awesome year in the life of Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region? Would 2017 be our best yet? Would we start it off on day one? Not wait until May. Not wait until next Christmas or New Year's. None of that. I'm going to get right with the Lord. He is going to revive me. I'm going to press into him until he does it. Would you join me? Would you join me as we pray? Let's seek the Lord. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your heart to revive. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, throughout all the generations of how you have drawn sinners to yourself. Lord, we pray that you continue to do that at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. Lord, would today be a fresh and new start for many people sitting here right now. Lord, would you, again, punch through, Lord, our pride and our arrogance. Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would you give us new desires for you? Lord, would you make the desires that we have for, for us and the things of the world, Lord, as, that's, as that hymn says, would that grow strangely dim, Lord? Because we, we want to see you. Because your grace is that much better. Lord, we love you. We, we love you passionately, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as we press into these things, you would indeed revive us. God, do what we pray. In Christ's name, amen.